I kind of kind of concluded last week, but um, this is this is going to be the conclusion. I, I ended, I should say, I ended with chapter 22 last week, and this is if I had a title tonight, it's like in conclusion is what I called it in my notes. Um, I do. If if any of you would like to have all the outlines, all the lessons from one through whatever it was last week, these handouts I don't have on computer. Um, but if you would like uh, any of the lessons or all the lessons, bring me a thumb drive and uh, like a memory stick. I call it a thumb drive, but a memory stick, and I can give that to you. Give all those lessons to you. I put a, I made a separate file for that because I've been asked for that. I have someone's right here. But uh, anyway. Um, Tonight, you, I've, I've given you two handouts, and basically, I'm not going to refer to them, <laughs> um, but I thought the information was good. This one, I'm just going to look at it quickly, but this one are the contrasts in Revelation, the five main sections we covered, uh, from the introduction to the seven messages of the churches, and then the backside, uh, the worship of the Father and Lamb, chapters 4 and 5, then 6 through 18, uh, the tribulation period, and then the return of Christ in the New Jerusalem, etc., in, in Revelation 19 through 22. So I just thought that was kind of interesting. Uh, just, I made copies of that back to front. And then that's all I was going to give you. And then today, what I did the last two days in preparing for tonight is, okay, how do you study for something you're kind of done with? But I, I just, I took it upon myself yesterday to read from chapter 1 through chapter 22. If you've never done that in this book, I would recommend doing that. It's just, it's, it's like, oh yeah, we covered that. Oh yeah, that, I remember that. Oh yeah, I remember that. And so it's been kind of cool. And I did that yesterday, then I redid that today. And so, um, for, for one, when you read Revelation, Revelation chapter 1, you are blessed. And, and when you obey these things, you are blessed, all right? And so, uh, just keep on, my challenge is keep on reading this book. Keep on asking the Holy Spirit to reveal, to give you illumination of what you're studying. But this is in the, okay, this is in the Full Life Study Bible, uh, Life in the Spirit Bible, uh, also the Fire Bible, all one and the same, just different titles given the same Bible over the years. Uh, I call it the Full Life Study Bible because that's what I got back in the early 90s when it came out. And it's still my favorite study Bible. And uh, I took time today to also read through all of this. And I thought, man, that is good. In case you don't have the Fire Bible, that's what this is. And so if you have the Fire Bible, it should be right before the last book in your Bible, the Fire Bible. Um, but that's where that is from. And so those are for your notes. And if you want to continue to look at those things and study those things, that's great. Um, but what we're going to do tonight is... Uh, I'm going to read one question and, and answer that and then ask you a few questions. I'm going to walk you through the quiz I gave you nine months ago without looking at your notes. All right. I'm not, I didn't, I didn't recopy it. I didn't, you know, give it to you, whatever. But the question was asked on the pink sheet that I handed out last two weeks. And I thought it was a good question because as I stated last week, I've had this question too. I've had this question too, and uh, and by the way, thank you, Lauren, again for recording all these, and and for the sound folks. Uh, every one of the lessons that have been taught have been uh, on is online, and it's there on our church web website, underneath resources, underneath sermons, and every lesson is there, and tonight's will be there as well. But the question is asked: Does anyone die during the millennium, the thousand-year rule reign of Christ? you know, pass away from old age, or do they live to be up to a thousand years old? 
And I, I've had that question too. Basically the question rephrased is, will people die during the 1,000 year reign? And uh, basically, uh, blessed and holy is the one who has part in the first resurrection because uh, the second death has no power over them, but they will be priests of God and of Christ and will reign with him for a thousand years. Well, if we're going to reign with him for a thousand years, we're not going to die. Okay? Uh, Revelation 20, verse 6. Basically, think of it this way. We'll be, we'll be like, somewhat like angels in heaven uh, concerning married. We're not going to get married. Uh, in the resurrection, they neither marry or are given in marriage. Matthew 22, verse 30. But are like angels in heaven. Uh, those who have had no part in the first resurrection. Okay? The Old Testament has this great text, I think, that kind of illuminates this. And that is Isaiah 65. I'm going to read Isaiah 65, 18 through 25. That's kind of like answers a question as well. Uh, but it says this, But be glad and rejoice forever in what I create. For behold, I create Jerusalem for rejoicing and her people for gladness. I will also rejoice in Jerusalem and be glad in my people. And there will, be no longer, uh, the, and there will no longer be heard in her the voice of weeping and the sound of crying. No longer will there be in it an infant who lives but a few years. Check that out. No longer will there be an infant who lives but a few years or an old man who does not live out his days. For the youth, for the youth will die at the age of 100 and the one who does not reach the age of 100 will be thought accursed. And so it, it, and there's no one here tonight that's 100 years old. All right, correct? Anybody 100 tonight? No. And so uh, 100 is considered young is what it's saying, all right? Uh, for the youth will die at the age of 100, and, and one who does not reach the age of 100 will be thought cursed. They will build houses and inhabit them. They will also plant vineyards and eat their fruit. They will not build and another inhabit. Uh, they will not plant and another eat. For as, the, for as the lifetime of a tree, so will be the days of my people. Now, is that a sequoia tree? Is that an oak tree? I don't, it doesn't say and my chosen ones will wear out will and my chosen ones will wear out the work of their hands they will not labor in vain or bear children for calamity uh, for they are the offspring of those blessed of the lord and their descendants with them it will also come to pass that before they call i will answer and while they are still speaking i will hear the wolf and the lamb not the lion the wolf and the lamb will graze together and the lion will eat straw like the ox and the dust will be the serpent's food, and they will do no evil or harm in, in all my holy mountains, says the Lord. And that's Isaiah 65, 18-25. So, basically, during the 1,000-year millennial kingdom, those who will inherit that kingdom, meaning they will be alive on the second coming of Christ, they will have the opportunity to live long if they choose to obey God. In other words, Satan's going to be bound during that time, remember, in the abyss, you know, the angel binds them with chains and throws them in the abyss and locks them up. Uh, Satan's going to be bound, so it will be a person's personal choice whether or not during that rule and reign, whether or not they obey God. And then we have Revelation 21 through 3, Then I saw an angel coming down from heaven, holding the key of the abyss and a great chain in his hand. 
read that, and he laid hold of the dragon, the serpent of old, who is the devil, and bound him for a thousand years. And he threw him into the abyss and shut it and sealed it over him so that he would not deceive the nations any longer until a thousand years were completed. After these things, he must be released for a short time. So basically, during the 1,000-year millennial kingdom, people will live long, and the rulers will have eternal life. They will have a different nature as they will be with Jesus now. And so basically, if you're raptured up during the thousand-year reign, you're going to live, that, you're going to have your new body, you're going to live that whole time. And so it's like, uh, you know, it's, it's cool, you know. Um, and then we have uh, John, 1 John chapter 3, verses 1 through 3. See how great a love the Father has bestowed upon us that we should be called the children of God, and such we are. For this reason, the world does not know us because it did not know him. Beloved, now we are children of God, and it has not appeared as yet what we will be. We know that when he appears, here it is, we will be like him. Wow. Think about that. Can you comprehend that? Because we will see him just as he is, and everyone who has this hope fixed on him purifies himself just as he is pure. So basically, think of it this way. There will be two kinds of people in the millennial kingdom. One group will never die, and one group may possibly die. Let me explain what I mean. The first group consists of everyone who becomes a Christian prior to the rapture of the church. That would include us, all Christians before us, and all Christians after us until the rapture occurs. All of those believers will return with Christ to rule and reign during the millennium. We will have immortal bodies and we will not be subject to death. That's the first group. The second group consists of people who trust Jesus after the rapture, survive the tribulation, do not take the mark of the beast, and enter the millennial kingdom having never died. That group will be mortal. They will marry, they will have kids, and mortal bodies that will age. In addition, all the children born during the millennium will be mortal as well. One interesting thing to note here, though, is that God is going to greatly expand the life expectancy of the second group during the kingdom period. As I read from Isaiah, no longer will there be an infant who lives but a few days or an old man who does not live out his days for the youth will, be, will die at the age of 100 and one who does not reach the age of 100 will be thought a curse. So basically, 100 years old in the millennial reign is thought to be young. And so how old? I don't know. Methuselah, wasn't it? That lived 900 and some, nine, what, 969? 969? Bible scholars, come on, help me here. Is that right? I'm going way back. Bible trivia, you know, whatever. Um, Isaiah is simply telling us that during the millennial kingdom, if someone dies at the age of 100, they'll be considered to have died young, but they could die. And so basically, um, if, if they disobey God, uh, there's, there, it's a possibility that they're going to be cut short of the life expectancy kind of thing. But, uh, um, but then when, the, when, when Satan is let out of the abyss for a short time, then they have a choice to make. Do you want to follow the devil or do you want to follow God? The free will thing, God, God gives us free will. I don't, I don't understand all that. As I said last week, all I know is... Um, uh, even even in heaven, you know, uh, Satan, Lucifer, I should say, rebelled, 
he was in a perfect environment. And he rebelled and took a third of the angels with him. So that, I think, somewhat answers that question. Um, but if you're born again now, you're raptured, you're, gonna, you're not going to die. Uh, all right? Um, so um, let's kind of go back to some questions here. Um, I asked this nine months ago in our first lesson in September. What do you hope to learn from studying the revelation of Jesus Christ? Uh, and then with that, I guess, bringing it nine months later, what have you learned in the last nine months? Have you learned anything, or do we have to have summer school and take it all over again? You know, <laughs> it's like, no. So what have you learned in the last nine months studying this book? Mary Lou. You've learned a whole lot. Give me one thing. The, the fact that um, God's mercy yeah. just continues even after all the hard-headed rebelliousness. I mean, I didn't know that. I thought okay. you know, it was just over with when the rapture took place. All right. So, I mean, I've read the book before, but it's just... So the, you, you understand the mercy of God. You, you've, you've learned about more about the mercy of God. That's one of the things I want to hit. One of my big takeaways is that right there. The mercy of God. The, mercy, the God's a merciful God. Somebody else, what, has, what have you learned in studying and in, in being here? Yes. Jim. Right. It's not a day is a thousand, a thousand is a day. It's not like that. But so once the rapture happens, boom, we start the tribulation basically. Seven, it's going to, honestly, if you think about it, seven years goes by real fast. I mean, where'd the last seven years go? Where'd, since COVID, where's the last three years gone? You know, it's like time happens fast, time goes by fast. And so even, even the tribulation, Three and a half years, the last triple part of the tribulation, the last three and a half years, seven years, it's going to happen fast. Yes. Good. Somebody else, what have you learned? Can I ask a question? You can. Oh, to totally. For those who are, yes, for those who are around for the tribulation, it might seem like a long, good point, it might seem like a lifetime. I mean, we have, we have the elite of the world trying, I just read this yesterday and today again, but the elite of, I'm calling the, the elite, the kings, the generals, the, you know, the, the important people that the world calls important. They're going to be hiding in the, in the caves, in the mountains, underneath rocks, men seeking death and not finding it. And, and, and I think about that, and I think about uh, the lifestyle even today. They're rich and famous, you know, and everybody looks up to them. And, and I watch, I'm getting old because I'm now watching game shows. And I watch game shows, and I'm very ignorant on trivia because I don't keep track of what Cardi B sang or what song this person sang or who this person. I, I don't know all that stuff. I don't need to know all that stuff. But I know that the world looks at the elitist, I call them, the, the high and mighty, whatever, and it's like they have no idea what's going to happen. They have no clue what's coming. 
And, and uh, so uh, it, it's going to be, it, it could seem like a long time, yes. Even with the, even with the demon, the demon uh, locusts, we call them. Um, no thank you, you know. Uh, so, yeah. Yeah, it's hard to comprehend. I'm doing this. I'm repeating for the sake of the tape. It's hard tape uh, recording. It's hard to comprehend how strong-willed, how stubborn-hearted, hard-hearted mankind is, and some people will be. Correct? Okay. Uh, yeah, it is. Healing takes place here on this earth and in heaven. Healing takes place here on this earth and in heaven. Okay. Tina. Okay. Times and it didn't make sense, and now it's starting to make sense. The seven churches, just I didn't comprehend. Okay. That's God's way of identifying our current behavior. Good. And I'm gonna I'm gonna touch on that. I'm gonna yeah. Yeah. Okay, oh, by the way, I won't be here for that. So, yeah. Uh, one third, totally. Mm -hmm. And so it's not. COVID wasn't what they're talking about. COVID was not what they're talking about. Uh, correct. All right. Pestilence. You know, the the prelude to what's coming. You know, it could lead to that, but it's not that yet. Even as I mentioned in this study. Even as the Euphrates River is currently drying up, uh, when 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 the trumpet is sounded or when the angel you know does the judgment thing, uh, and and it's going to be uh, uh, an act of God, not as it, I mean I'm not saying what's going on now isn't an act of God, but I'm saying it's going to be you're going to know God's at work here, when that thing is like when God does it, God's going to do it, uh, as well as a third of the earth, the trees, you know whatever so. And then mountains disappearing and, and everything else. So, um, yeah, a lot, a lot of go, stuff going on there. Um, anybody else? What have you learned? You know, what are your takeaways? In the whole book, we, for me, it shows that God is a God of love. Okay. He loves his people, but on the other hand, he is also a just God. Yeah. And he's fair. Mm hmm Yes. God is a God of love, but he's also a just God. God is fair and gives everybody the choice. And, and, you, and you see this over and over. That's one of my takeaways that I'll get to. I have like 10 takeaways I'm going to share with you. But one of the things I'm going to mention is that, uh, that justice will be served finally. And, uh, um, and, and God, over and over, I, I kept on saying in this study, the judgments of God is really the mercy of God to get people to repent. And yet, the, because of their hard-heartedness, they, they don't do that. And uh, that just like, wow, why wouldn't you? You know? Um, and his continual trying to get people to repent. I'm not in line with that because you've got to quit threatening them. you just got to take action. And I don't want them to do that with us. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I mean, yeah. Yeah. It's like, no, just deal with it. And it's like, but There's coming a time when he will deal with it. 
his way. But even in his way, there's still mercy. And, there, and it's still based out of love. Because that's who he, that's his nature. Um, and I have more questions here. Um, I'm just going to read part of this. Uh, one of the questions I asked, uh, I'm asking is, in what ways is a promise that God will dwell with us meaningful to you? And that is, is one note I didn't cover the last couple of weeks. This is from Revelation 21:22. It says, John saw no temple. I'm, I'm paraphrasing, but John saw no temple in the New Jerusalem. God in Old Testament times manifested his presence and glory in the Holy of Holies, the inner sanctuary of the tabernacle, then in the ta- Temple of Solomon. During the church age, the body of believers are temples, sanctuaries of the Holy Spirit. And whenever they come together in Christ's name, they are the body of Christ. Together, believers become the temple, the sanctuary, where God manifests his presence throughout the whole, through the Holy Spirit. But in the New Jerusalem, the whole, this is, blows me away, the whole city will become the temple, the sanctuary, the habitation of God in Christ. God's glory, and I comprehend this, God's glory will be everywhere present in it. Remember, no sun is needed. He is light. Uh, Those who dwell in it will be in constant direct contact with the Lord Almighty and His Son, His Lamb, the Redeemer. Believers shall dwell in the temple, that is, in the midst of the manifestation of God's presence. This will also mean that all believers of all ages shall continue to be a holy temple uh, in the Lord, Lord, build it together for a habitation of God through the Spirit, Ephesians 5, 20-22. This fellowship in the immediate presence of God and Christ will surely be the greatest blessing and joy in the holy city. The psalmist David recognized that in God's presence there is fullness of joy. How much greater will that fullness be in the new Jerusalem? I mean, I read this and I thought, man, if that doesn't light your fire, your wood is wet. You know, Alvin. That's exactly, it sounds like an eternal revival where God manifests his presence, his glory, you get a taste of that. I mean, church, we only have received a foretaste here. Only a foretaste. And I, and I won't take time, to, I could talk more about that, but, but it's like, it's going to be, well, it's going to be heavenly. All right, all right. Let me quickly go through the quiz, uh, and just don't look at your papers and just the best you can. You can, you can shout them out if you want to. I'm not going to call for hands because I do have 10 points and I got six more points to go. So uh, first one was true or false. A special blessing is promised to all who read Revelation. True. First chapter. What does the word revelation mean? Number two, what does revelation mean? There you go. An uncovering, a bringing to light that which had previously been hidden or wholly hidden or only obscurely seen. So basically it's a coming to light, coming to understanding. Uh, three, why is it important to take this prophecy to heart? Why is it important to take this prophecy to heart? There, because the time is near. He is coming again and it's soon. You can, I mean, reading this yesterday and today again, soon, I'm coming soon. I mean, first chapter one, chapter two, it's, it's everywhere if you look for it. Uh, who is the author of Revelation? Easy? John. Hey, who got that one right? All right. Uh, how, how many years after Jesus' resurrection and ascension did Jesus, or, yeah, did Jesus write these letters? 
in Revelation 2 and 3? Or did John write for Jesus these letters? There you got it. 60 to 65 years after he ascended. That's when, he, that's when he, John wrote it and Jesus told him to write, write what he did. Six, what is, the Holy, what is the Holy Spirit's inspired title for the book of Revelation? Chapter 1, verse 1. The revelation of Jesus Christ. The revelation of Jesus Christ. Uh, what is seven? What is the significance of seven churches? Seven represents what? Completion, fullness. It represents the concept of unity, completeness or fullness. Uh, do these seven messages apply to the entire church today or were they just for the churches in Asia Minor? Today as well. That's one of my takeaways too. What was said then is for us today. Number nine, in the opening scene of Revelation, we see our great high priest, the Lord Jesus Christ, the head of the church, walking among the seven golden lamps. What are the lamps representative of? The churches. The churches. The lamps are churches. Ten, who are the stars or angels of the churches? And why are they referred to as stars? Who are they? The pastors, the leaders, all right? Why are they referred to as stars? Well, God created stars to give light to the earth during dark times. It is a spiritual leader's responsibility to shed light amid the surrounding darkness of the world. Stars also provide guidance, all right? Uh, number 11, what church held the teaching of Balaam? And what was the teaching of Balaam? And this is getting a little harder. <laughs> I was like, I don't know all these. I have to go back and look them up again. And I've studied it, and I've preached it, I've done series on it. Pergamum. Pergamum. The teaching of Balaam revolved around the idea that because they were the blessed covenant people of God, they could not be cursed. In other words, since you're a Christian, you can live like you want to live, and you will never lose out with God. Once saved, always saved. Today we have hundreds of thousands of quote-unquote believers who are convinced they can mingle with the world, engage in immorality, and every other sin, instead, and yet retain their salvation. A false security gave the Israelites the basis for their accepting the Moabites' offer to join with them in their sexual perversion and idolatry. What church, number 12, tolerated that woman Jezebel, and what did she advocate in her teaching? Jezebel, Thyatira. She advocated tolerance and compromise, immorality, and idolatry. I just read of a church someplace in America that had a drag queen show at this church. It's like, you ain't no church of God. You, you know, you've already bowed down to the enemy, you know. That's, that's what that's about to me. Uh, what church, number 13, had forsaken their first love? What? Ephesus. Very good. Ephesus. Very good. What church was prosperous and self-sufficient? They thought they had need of nothing, known for their eye salve, known, known for uh, their, their, their uh, uh, linen and such. Laodicea. Laodicea. Uh, in what city was Antipas martyred for his faith? What city was Antipas martyred for his faith? Pergamum. Pergamum. 16, to what church did Jesus say, I know your afflictions and your poverty, and yet you are rich? Smyrna? Bingo. All right, Smyrna. 
17, only two of the seven churches named in Revelation 2 and 3 received passing grades. So two of the seven. What were the names of the two churches? Philadelphia and Smyrna. All right. What church had a reputation of being alive and yet was dead? Sardis. Sardis. All right. 19. What church could not bear those who were evil and tested those who claimed to be apostles? Ephesus. 20. You all need to read chapters 2 and 3 again. <laughs> what church was known for its lukewarmness? I'm about to spit you, vomit you, spew you out of my mouth. Laodicea. In what two churches did Jesus mention the Nicolaitans? The Nicolaitans. What two churches did Jesus mention the Nicolaitans? Ephesus and Pergamum. Mention both. Mention the Nicolaitans in there and their false teaching. Again, once again, compromising with immorality and such. What church is commended for having an unbreakable grip on Christ in hell's headquarters? Pergamum. And what church is commended for doing more now than did at first? Thyatira. How many need to read chapters 1, 2, one, two and 3 again? All right. <laughs> um, and honestly, I looked at this like on Monday, and I was going, okay, I don't know all those. And I've studied this. I've done sermon series on these, and I knew most of them, but it's like, okay. And it's not really important to know what church and what, you know, whatever, but I would, I would emphasize go back and reread and, and then look at what Christ commended, what he condemned, look at the character of Christ, the churches he called to repentance, and so that all ties in. So here's my takeaways from this study. I have 10 of them, and they're not in any particular order. I tried to keep it to 10, and so here they are, and I'm gonna, I'll, I'll highlight a few things and move on, whatever. But number one, uh, what stood out to me was the description of Christ in chapter 1, and then also to the churches. Every church is giving a little more information about his character in, in 2 and 3. But what I, what, I really, what I really saw was the majesty, the holiness of Christ. When I first started studying this, this has been years ago, um, I couldn't get beyond chapter 1, just, just meditating and thinking about, about the vision that John had. And John, who I believe perhaps of all the apostles, all the disciples, John, knowing him best, when he had this vision, this revelation of who Christ was and his majesty and his glory, he says, I fell at his feet as though dead. The one that knew him best when he saw him, it's like, wow, God help us to get a vision of Christ that will just fall at your feet and it's like, it's all about you. And so one was, number one was the description of Christ in chapter one, but also further explained in chapters two and three to see the exalted and the glorified Christ. May God give the church today a fresh vision of the majesty and the glory and the exaltation of Jesus Christ. Number one. Number two, what stood out was the letters in chapters two and three. Uh, once again, Jesus comes and he says, I know, I know, I know. He knows all things. You're not going to hide nothing from him. No pastor can hide anything from him. He sees, he knows all things. Also, with the messages of Christ to the churches, what was true then of any of the seven churches is true for the church today. It's true for the church. In other words, what he commended there, he'll commend in our lives. What he rebuked them for, he'll rebuke us for. And what he called them to repent of, he's calling us to repent of as well. 
And he's calling for overcomers, to him who overcomes. And so that stood out to me. With that point was also the call to faithfulness to these churches and a call to persevere. Uh, this, you know, as it says, this calls for patient endurance and faithfulness on the part of the saints. So basically, what am I saying? Remain faithful to Jesus Christ unto death. Even if it costs you your head, all right? Remain faithful to Christ no matter what. Because what's the worst the devil can do? Kill you? I'm with him. You know, it might hurt. It's going to hurt. I don't like pain any more than anybody else, but I'm just saying, be faithful, as he told his church, even unto death. And, and just as they suffered, the church will suffer. Okay? Uh, he sets, another thing about churches, he sets the standard for his churches, we don't. And he has, and he has not compromised what he has said. All right? We try to. We try to dumb it down. We try to, you know, be, whatever. Um, don't, another thing is don't tolerate, do not tolerate sin, false teachers, immorality or so. It's a call to intimacy with the Lord. Uh, what, another thing is with the churches, what we think is important is not important to Him. What we say about ourselves has no bearing on what He sees and what He says. Laodicea, you say, I am rich, I am increased with goods, I am in need of nothing. And Jesus says, don't you know that you are wretched, blind, naked, and pitiful? You're poor, naked, and pitiful. And so what He says is what matters, not what we say. And so basically, what does that mean? He has the final word, we don't. Reputation is one thing, but reality is another. You have a reputation of being alive, but you're dead. You know what I'm saying? Do you see where I'm coming from? So reread the, the chapters 2 and 3. Reread that and, and put yourself in this position of God, speak to me. And if there's things in my life that you aren't pleased with, God, show me those things so I can repent of those things and get on to living with you or, uh, the way you want to. And then the last thing on point number two is, are we in tune with what the Spirit is saying? Because over and over, Jesus says, to those who have ears, let them hear what the Spirit is saying to the churches. So number two is the, the letters of, of Jesus really stood out to me. Another thing that stood out to me that helped me in this study, oops, like never before, is Daniel's 77s. I gave you, and I, did, I, I may have had this on word now, but I gave you this like two or three different times on outlines. It's the chart of what's going to be happening the past 69 weeks, uh, uh, basically a week being seven years in the time frame of things, and Ezra rebuilding the temple, and, and where we're at, and, and, and at the end of the 69th week is 483 years, and then we have the present church age. So that really, Daniel chapter 9, 24 through 27, this really helped me understand for the very first time, the time frame of things and how they fit together. And so it's a good chart. If you got it, I can also send that to you. But it's basically Daniel's, I call it Daniel's 77s. And, uh, you know, the, the, the 490 years, think of it this way, a year back then was not 365 days. They, they, they did it a 360-day year. Okay? And so if you do that math, you'll figure that out and, and this where the rapture occurs and everything else and how fast that time, as Jim was saying, once, once we're raptured out of here, it's moving forward fast. You know, so I, that, that helped me a lot. Another thing that helped me understand this study is the lesson I taught on Eastern Jewish thinking and how it differs from Western thinking. 
Eastern Jewish thinking, they, they see things more holistically. And, and, and John was writing to an East, with an Eastern mindset. Whereas we in the West, we say chapter one, this is going to happen. Chapter two, this is going to happen. Chapter three, this happens. Chapter four. And we think on a linear kind of time frame, whereas you can't do that with this book because if you recall when I was teaching on this, uh, John was going up, I mean, he was going forward to the end times, the, the tribulation saints, and, and, and he was going backwards, he was going to heaven, he was on earth, and he was all over the place. And, and that helped me understand a little more of this book of, of saying, you know something, it's not, our Western mindset gets in my way sometimes of understanding and thinking how they see things. And, and even, with the, even with the seals, the trumpets, and the bowls, you know, seal, like the seal one's taken, is opened, and seal two, it doesn't just happen like that. It's, it's they're, inter, they're interlapping, they're, they're overlapping, they're, things are happening here and there. And so remember, if you remember this chart I gave you, you know, the seals and the bowls, how things overlap. And that, that's part of the Eastern Jewish thinking differing from Western thinking, how things overlapped each other as well. Uh, another thing that I learned is number five, we don't know everything until it happens. And I, I say that because when I, when I hit chapter 10 and read about this, and I go back to the seven thunders that John saw, and the Lord says, no, seal that up. That's not for you to know. There's some things in this book uh, and certain aspects of God's coming wrath and judgment that we simply don't know, which indicates that during the tribulation period, Judgments not revealed in the seals, trumpets, and bowls are going to occur. Some things are going to happen. We don't know what the seven thunders are. He, he sees it, but then God says, not now. All right. Therefore, no one knows in advance everything that's going to happen. And so it's okay to say, you know something? I'm not going to be dogmatic about the sequence of events in the book of Revelation because we don't know everything that's going to happen until it happens. And so number five, we don't know everything until it happens. Number six, I like this. Heaven will be more spectacular than we can imagine. Hallelujah. Now, I think it's difficult because, uh, again, we, we, we have this, this mindset and, and we have these old bodies and I don't know what it's going to be like to have a body like Christ, to be like Him. I don't know what it's going to be like not to need sleep. I, I mean, reading, to, reading again, the New Jerusalem being of gold, pure gold. I mean, I don't, how does that look, you know? I don't know. So I'm just saying, you read about New Jerusalem, how God has prepared it. It's coming down out of heaven. God has that in heaven. It's all prepared, and it's going to be beyond, even now, our wildest imagination. It's going to be awesome. As I said in previous lessons, in the last few lessons, last month, um, I know why I need a new body, because this body can't comprehend everything that God has in store for me. All right? Uh, number seven. Another lesson, my takeaway is the holiness, the majesty, the almightiness of God. Uh, the only power that Satan has is what God allows him to have. All right? Friends, you need not be afraid of the devil, of the Antichrist. As I just said, what's the worst thing he could do? Kill me? You know? Um, 
and then with, with the holiness, the majesty, uh, and the almightiness of God, you see God's power. I see God's power at work. I mean, even, even the two witnesses, rereading that, and for three and a half years, they're, they're preaching, they're calling people to repentance. And, and if, you dis, if, if you come against them, man, fire comes out of their mouth and consumes you. How cool would that be to see, you know? But, but then, then God allows them to be killed, only to be resurrected, and all are astonished. Wow. This is why it's good just to read from chapter 1 to chapter 22. Read it and reread it because it's like things that just jump out at you. That's cool. All right. But uh, basically, uh, true and just, true and just are his judgments. The angels were, were, were constantly, true and just are your judgments, Lord. True and just are your judgments. Number eight. Number eight, don't place too much emphasis on living here when God has planned something far better. This is all going to disappear. And as beautiful as this creation is, there's something better coming. I can't imagine that. It's going to be awesome. Albert, you're flying. You're, 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 I mean, that's, you're seeing the beauty of God's creation. And it's just majestic. I've been in a plane a few times. God bless you for what you do. But, but, but this is all going up in flames, so to speak. It's all going to be going away for something better and something eternal. Number eight. Number nine, God has the final word. Therefore, repent and get right with God while there's still time because God today is still on a throne of mercy. We see God's mercy throughout this book. Revelation shows me, as Mary Lou said, it shows me the mercy of God, but it also shows me, as Alvin said, the hardness of man's hearts. And the Bible says, Revelation says, still they did not repent, but they refused, in our place, but they refused to repent. As I just mentioned, the two, you know, God's mercy, the two witnesses preaching was God's mercy. The angel proclaiming the eternal gospel is God's mercy. And with that, because God has the final word, never take the mark of the beast. You know, all hell is going to break loose. And honestly, people, as I said over and over, people have no idea what's coming. From Genesis through Revelation, God has had a plan. As I was rereading this, another thing that stood out, God knows the very hour, day, month, and year in which this is all going to happen. Revelation 9, verse 15. The hour, the day, the month, the year. God is a precise God, and God will have the final word. And this book gives us God's perspective on the future outcome of history. God will prevail. Bless you. God will prevail, and he will vindicate his saints by pouring out his wrath on Satan's kingdom. I don't understand why Satan thinks he has a shot here at getting at God, but it shows you that his, he is deceived, and he is a deceiver. But justice will prevail. These words, as it says, are trustworthy and true. Now, number, number 10. Number 10. My final takeaway... Revelation 14, verse 4. They follow the Lamb wherever He goes. That'll preach. They follow the Lamb wherever He goes. As His bride, make sure you're ready because He is 
coming soon. As I said Sunday, why do I believe that? Because he said so over and over again in Revelation 22 as well. And so what am I saying? Make sure your name is written in his book of life because the day is fast approaching and he who is called the word of God and the bright and morning star will come down from heaven to take away his faithful uh, from this earth to his father's house. This is our unfailing hope and our joyful expectation. He said, I am coming soon. And I say with John, even so, come quickly, Lord Jesus. Bottom line, follow the lamb wherever he goes. So, saying all that, and I got 10 more minutes. In light of all that, how then should we be living? Jim shared this a little bit this past winter when I had a back problem, and he, he shared, in light of the second coming, how should we be living? And I have six points here, and they all start with L. If you're taking notes, number one, looking for him. We should be looking for him. Titus 2.13, looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. The glorious appearing of our Savior should not simply be a doctrine to us. We should eagerly look forward to His return. We should, we should have this eager expectation. See, it's not to be regarded only as a truth to which we give assent. It should be a glorious prospect. Looking forward to meeting a dear friend can give great pleasure. But with what intense joy should we anticipating meeting the one who died for us, the one who took our place, the one who, who has planned such a glorious future for us. And so now is the time to be looking, to be ready, to be watching. Why? Because honestly, our salvation is nearer right now than when we first believed. I shared this past February, I've been a Christian 40 years. And when I got saved 40 years ago, man, I thought Christ was coming. I, I, I'm jumping into Revelation. I wanted to understand this stuff. And, I, and after 40 years, I'm starting to understand it. But I'm just saying my salvation is closer than when I first believed. And so is yours if you've been saved for any length of time. All right, number two. Number one, looking. Number two, living. Living for him. Wherefore, beloved, 2 Peter 3.14, seeing that you look for such things, be diligent that you may be found of him in peace without spot and blameless. In other words, our lives should be very different because we believe the Lord is returning for us. Everything that we do should be done in light of eternity, in light of that day. And how different, I believe, our lives would be if we started each day with the thought, perhaps today the Lord will come. Maybe today that trumpet's going to blast. All right, It could have what I call a purifying effect on our conduct if we're looking for him and living for him. 1 John 3, 3, every man that hath this hope in him purifies himself even as he is pure. So the Lord's coming should surely make us pilgrims and strangers on this earth. Number one, looking. Number two, living. Number three, laboring. We should work the work of Christ while we can. The Lord says, occupy until I come. Occupy. Luke 19, 13. If we're not serving the Lord, then according, therefore, according to our talents, He has given us, then we are disobedient. We need to be laboring for Him. God has given us His church, the body of Christ, a job to do. I want to make sure I can do all I can do to make sure that heaven is populated and hell is depopulated, if that's a word. All right? We increase heaven, we decrease hell. We have a job to do. 
And we should also labor for him in love. 1 Corinthians 15, 58. Therefore, my dear brothers, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourself fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. So we're looking, we're living, we're laboring. Number four, we are learning, learning of him. Matthew eleven twenty nine. 29. Take my yoke upon you and learn from or of me, Jesus. For I am gentle and humble in heart and you will find rest for your souls. This is not simply head knowledge, but really heart knowledge. We ought to be learning of him through his word. What does his word tell us? You know, we, we know from Romans 15, 4, for everything that was written in the past was written to teach us so that through the endurance and the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. We learn from him. All right, we also learn from him in prayer. The old song, I get so thrilled with Jesus every moment of the day. Or I keep falling in love with him. Those listening by, by internet, sorry, I'm not a singer. All right. Uh, but basically, we are learning uh, of him. Um, number five, we are leaning on, leaning on him. Leaning on him. You know, we should put our trust in him and lean not to our own understanding. He has promised to return for us that where he is, we might be also. What a fellowship, what a joy divine leaning on the everlasting arms. And then number six, we have looking, living, laboring, learning, leaning. Last one is loving. Loving him. And basically, John 14, Jesus says, if you love me, you will obey me. Obey me. First Peter 1.8, though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not, not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with inexpressible and jo- glorious joy. When it comes down to it, true love, true biblical love is obedient. Also with this point, perfect love casts out fear. We don't have to live in fear. We don't have to live in condemnation. We have nothing to fear. We have a glorious future. And I can assure you, based on the word of God, and the God of the word, that God's word will come to pass. Amen? So, in light of all this, looking, living, laboring, learning, leaning, and loving. And it is 7-11, and I am done. God bless you all. Thank you for being part of this study. And as I said, if you would like all the lessons in, in, a, in a Microsoft Word format, I have them all in a file. Bring me a memory stick. Can, you computer geeks out there, can I send that via email, the whole file? Is it too big? You're saying, okay. I'll try that too. I can, I can attach it, the whole file, if I can do that. If you want to email me, email the church, I, will, I can send that from my, my computer. If you want it on a memory stick, I can do that as well. Um, I hope you've enjoyed it because I have immensely enjoyed it because the teacher always learns more than the students. Amen? So when you're asked to teach Revelation, you say, I'd be happy to. (laughs) I've put this off for years and years. I've been through studies. I've read it. And I'm starting to understand it. You will understand it the more you read it, the more you ask for Holy Spirit to guide you in its interpretation. All right? That's all I have. God bless you.